Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? Doing okay, Ed. How about you? I am uh, I'm well pizzed and ready to go tonight. Did you say pizzed? Yes, that's right. Having had pizza, I'm pizzed. What 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 uh, what type of pizza did you have? It is from a company that is uh, like a Father Don's, you know, if you can figure that out. And I uh, had pineapple on it and a Dorito little thing that came with it. Oh, and it was tasty. It was it was decent for a Wednesday. Yes. Okay. Good. And so I I guess the big story that every media outlet has been covering for the last few days is the projection that DeSantis was going to announce tonight. And in fact, he did announce, but there were uh, numerous technology problems with Twitter. I got a little bit of his uh, announcement here. Let's take a listen and see if we can hear. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. And we should choose a new direction, a path that will lead to American revitalization. We must restore sanity to our nation. This means embracing fiscal and economic sanity. Stop pricing hardworking Americans out of a good standard of living through inflationary borrow, print, and spending policies. And please embrace American energy independence. This also means replacing the woke mind virus with reality, facts, and enduring principles. Merit must trump identity politics. And it goes on like that, at least the, the audio that I've been able to find, because literally the servers went down repeatedly uh, with Twitter. I, I don't know why he made a decision to make this announcement. And quite frankly, it's not very exciting to listen to either. No, and I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but my, my sons were and one was watching on Instagram, apparently, and had no problems. And the other was watching on Twitter and had all kinds of problems. Um, I did see earlier in the week on Twitter some commentary by someone who worked for uh, the Youngkin campaign in Virginia. Uh, I don't know if he was the press secretary or communications director or just a strategist or what, but he said that they had a press conference pretty early on in which Youngkin sort of talked about policy and what he was going to do and, and, and the changes he was going to make. And the press, you know, sort of asked questions that didn't pertain to all that stuff and was what I would call not, not exactly what he said, but just kind of fluff, you know. Not, and so they made a decision to basically ignore mainstream media and, and try to go right to the public, so to speak, through social media. And I wonder if, if that kind of attitude or strategy or whatever was what motivated DeSantis to do this via Elon Musk on, on, on Twitter. Maybe it is. And of course, they'll spin it as, you know, this is an indication of how much support we had that we strained the servers. Uh, you know, yeah, there may be some truth to that. At the same time, compare this with Tim Scott's announcement a few days ago in front of a live audience, which was carried by the cable news channels and probably broadcast on Twitter also. And it just had a different feel for it, a little more excitement, a little more oomph. And given how DeSantis has already 
been out there campaigning and showing up at public events like he did in Iowa when Trump couldn't get there because of the weather and he jumped in. Just seemed like an odd choice to me. But, you know, a month, six months from now, it'll all be forgotten, I suppose. Yeah, one way or the other. But I think you're right. And I don't think it it, it had the uh, the, it's going to have the bounce that perhaps was anticipated and certainly was not what was hoped for. Yeah, so it's still a long time until the first uh, first votes are cast. Very long. A lot, a lot can happen between now and then. It's a lifetime, as they say. A lifetime in politics. The other big story, of course, is the continuing debt ceiling negotiations. We talked about that last week. It was kind of something we were monitoring to see what happened. Since then, Biden went to uh, Japan, canceled some of his other scheduled stops in in, in uh, the South Pacific, Asia region, came back, and they still don't have an agreement. And uh, not sure kind of where that stands at this point. I don't know if it was last night or night before, supposedly they the staff negotiated deep into the night. You know, there was that hoorah yesterday with our friend, a uh, friend of the pod, James Rosen from Newsmax, who was called upon by the press secretary at the uh, press briefing yesterday afternoon. Um, and she denied that they were negotiating about spending cuts when some some source, and I don't remember who it was, had told one of the other Newsmax reporters that that was the case, as I understand it. So it's 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 sort of interesting to 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 see how this is going as much as where it's going. And uh, this June 1 deadline that Janet Yellen has talked about is not a hard deadline. Of course, you know, the if money's coming in and then debts can be paid. Um, I think Biden is counting on the fact or the Democrats counting on the fact that if there's a shutdown, it's good for them because the news media will help them blame Republicans. But the House passed the bill, the Senate won't move on it, and the president won't do anything about it either other than threaten this 14th Amendment thing we discussed last week. So I'm at a loss unless unless there's some sort of interim deal that gives them some space to, to strike a real deal. Yeah, this isn't quite like a government shutdown where they can pass a continuing resolution for spending for another week or 10 days, which is what often happens there. Um, but, but, you know, back to what you just said, first of all, it's surprising that James Rosen got called upon because that doesn't happen mm-hmm. very often. Um, but even today, Kareem Jean-Pierre takes to the White House podium and just starts bashing Republicans um, at the exact same time that members of the White House staff were negotiating with Republicans. Seems like really unusual strategy uh, and a bad look. Um, but for their base, maybe it doesn't matter. Of course, that begs the question of let's assume they do some kind of deal. You know, what what are the Democrat? What is the Democrat base going to say? Is it going to be like um uh, which member of the squad was it? Was it um, Jamila? I don't even know how to say her name. Priapil or Pri- who? Close enough. Who essentially, you know, threatened violence if the White House imposed spending cuts of any sort. Yeah, she said basically, we'll see what people or how people react in the streets, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you wonder. I mean, is 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 who is Biden listening to? 
it almost seems like he's the kind of guy that um, he's going to go with whoever he last talked with. And, and by that, I mean, he's listening to different people at different times and what you get from him depends on who, who the most recent person he had a conversation with. And so they're sending mixed messages and I, I don't see how that's good for them or good for the country. But back to what you said, June 1st is not a hard deadline because they can prioritize revenues that come in and continue paying the interest on the debt, which is all they're paying. Basically, we're not paying down the debt at any point. We're not touching the principal. No but they can continue making those interest payments. Well, and and the other thing is this, you know, the Republicans are not asking for what I would call anything close to a a spending cut. They're asking to go back to 2022 post-COVID spending levels. You had Hakeem Jeffries today saying, you know, no to spending cuts. How on earth can the Democrats with a straight face, say that we need to be spending trillions of dollars that we don't have and we have no chance of getting. Well, for one thing, they've adopted modern monetary theory and they don't believe it matters whether you just continue printing dollars and run up deficits from now till kingdom come. Uh, But the other thing is they want people dependent upon the government. And the only way to do that is continue sending them stuff or money. Yeah. But you would have thought that the inflation that resulted from the COVID payouts, let's call them, which pretty much everyone agrees that's what caused the recent inflation, the current inflation. You'd think that that would send a message of some sort, you'd hope, with regard to printing money. It doesn't. It doesn't. (laughs) Because you can't accept that message. Right, because your politics are so are much more important than than real life, um, and the short term is more important than the long term. I mean, but along those lines, if you want to talk facts, you know, we continue to hear this uh, diatribe about the um, tax cuts under President Trump, and you know, just two days ago, I, I found the website with the government where it shows what revenues were, and they've gone up every year since then. In fact, they've gone tax revenue income to the government. I hate to call it income because they haven't earned it. Um, but the inflow to the government has essentially gone up every year since the 2008 Great Recession ended. And that was the first time in many years it had actually gone down. Um, so there's, there's been money coming in, and yet they will continue to say that people aren't paying their fair share and that they should raise taxes on them. So facts aren't going to get in the way of a good story. One of my pet peeves is when they talk about tax cuts having to be paid for as, as if it was spending in and of itself. Uh, you know, that's our money. Um, we earned it and they didn't. Uh, but here we are. So what else is on your mind this week? Well, um, Ukraine. Looks like we're sending F-16s now and training fighter pilots. Yeah, and there's a story out there that uh, despite our condition that we placed on uh, providing equipment, that that equipment not be used in Russia, apparently there were some armored vehicles of some sort or perhaps some troop carriers or trucks or something 
um, that we gave to the Ukrainians that they then used, and, and I'm going to say the name wrong, somewhere Be- Belgrade or, or, or something like that in, in, in Russia proper, and, and that's sort of bubbling around out there. I'm not real sure what has happened in, is it Bakhmut? Is that how you say that? Uh, that's how I've heard it pronounced, yeah. And, and you know, I, 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 it looked like the Russians had sort of won that battle, so to speak, then I read somebody was saying that while they had taken the town or the city, the Ukrainians were essentially rolling up their flanks and might soon have it surrounded. So you wonder, you know, who, who really is, is winning there. Although I've heard multiple stories that the city has been almost destroyed. At yes. This point. And, and you, you know, you, 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 we keep hearing about this alleged Ukrainian spring offensive and perhaps a Russian spring offensive. So that, that's got to be something that I think we all ought to keep our eyes on. And then the other thing, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Before you go on, let me just say, though, with with all of this that's happening in Ukraine and everything you just mentioned, and we could probably, if we sat here, come up with half dozen more things. Sure. One thing I've not heard any discussion about, though, is any push for peace. I did read um, on Monday Seymour Hersh, take it for what it is. Uh, he's a liberal foreign policy kind of writer, I think is what you'd call him, from way back in the Kissinger years, Vietnam, the whole nine yards. He, he published a story, and I don't remember where, but it was on Monday, where he talked about the fact that the European nations, particularly the Eastern European nations, and most particularly Poland, but the European nations except for Britain and France, had, have had enough. And they are pushing very hard for Zelensky to say, I want to talk peace, even to the point because the Russians have apparently said we'll talk peace, but Zelensky's got to go. And and these countries have said even to the point of you know we, we will give you safe harbor or uh, wherever you want. He he has some sort of retreat or villa or something in Italy. That's a possibility. The French and the British, according to Seymour Hersh, aren't saying that because Biden's not saying that. And they're so dependent on the United States for various reasons that they won't they won't take a, a, a position that's contrary to ours. But but Hirsch's angle, and I thought this was interesting, um, was that the intelligence agencies in our country and the foreign policy sort of mid level whiz kids were of the same opinion as basically the polls and, and the others. And they had put it in writing and briefings and, you know, PowerPoints and papers and all kinds of things. But but there, he was not sure and was questioning whether or not the president was actually seeing that because the top level is still we're for Ukraine and we're going to be there for as long as it takes for them to achieve victory. Um, and and I, I thought that was very interesting. Well, that is interesting. I don't seen that story by Hirsch. You know, I hope there's some truth to it that maybe there's at least some possibility that this isn't going to be an endless war. 
but I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you before you were going to say something else. The other thing that, that I've seen that I, you know, have had um, my eye out for is this, this story about, and I don't even know where it is. I think it's on the West Coast where, and I've heard varying amounts, 30 tons, 30,000 pounds, 60,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate has gone missing from some train out there. Um, and, you know, th there was a big story about it on Fox News, and then I saw some folks saying, well, the, somebody from the whatever railroad it was was saying that it basically was the stuff falling through the cracks, literally, and off the train. Um, but then, then the most recent thing I saw was yesterday where there was a photograph of similar ammonium nitrate, and it was all packaged in what I would call 25 or 50 pound plastic bags. It's, it's, it's actually not a liquid. It's, it's granules, I think. Um, and they're like, there's no way that that much of it dissipated over this trip when it's packaged that way. You know, we're not talking about w one big container with a hole in it. Um, and apparently that stuff would be quite useful in making a bomb. So I, I find that interesting. And maybe it's just because I, I'm always attuned to a good conspiracy theory. No, that's an interesting story. And in fact, um, I saw something earlier today from Wyoming News Now. It talked about 30 tons of explosive fertilizer disappeared from train after departing from Cheyenne. It was going on a rail trip from Cheyenne to California. And they did talk about they believe and this is a quote from some manufacturer. Every indication is the pellets fell from the rail car onto the tracks in small quantities throughout the long trip. I find that really hard to believe also. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know for sure, but 30 tons sounds like a lot of stuff to me. It does to me. And too. the idea that you could actually lose 30 tons of anything particularly an explosive or, or a component for explosives to be more accurate is, is really kind of hard for me to believe. Isn't a ton, 2000 pounds, roughly. That's what I learned in school. Yes. Yeah. So you're talking about 60,000 pounds of these pellets. That's a lot. It is. And, and it's not only, it's not just a component for explosives. It's a fertilizer. Right. So it's very valuable to farmers. I mean, it's a valuable commodity, and it's hard for me to believe that anyone's shipping it and they they think they can lose 60,000 pounds along the way, and yet they can still ship it and make money. So that just doesn't quite pass the smell test to me. No, it doesn't. And then the other two things that I, I found interesting, um, one of which is looking back as much as anything, but members, certain members of the Senate, were issued satellite phones this week, which they had been told would be issued in the event of a national emergency where perhaps the cellular uh, service would be crashed, if not nationwide, at least Washington, D.C., and perhaps some other areas. And it's like, well, why would they do? I mean, you know, what's what's over the horizon that we don't know about? And is it related to them? I mean, I, I'm making this leap, but is it related to the ammonium nitrate thing? And, and then apparently this lunatic Monday night drove a U-Haul into the gate at the White House. 19-year-old um, guy, maybe Indian or Pakistani, I'm not sure, and said he was going to kill the president and take over. 
course, the president was in Japan at the time. Um, but conveniently in his U-Haul truck was um, a Nazi flag that the FBI or Secret Service or somebody placed on the ground for the photograph that was then released to the public. And that just struck me as I'm skeptical. You know, is that a false flag? And if so, why? Mm-hmm. I mean, no weapons, no bombs, no explosives, a Nazi flag. And he, 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 he was going, it looked to me from the, from the photograph, um, he wasn't going very fast. So it's not like I, it looked like he was really trying to um, drive the, the truck into the White House grounds. It was more like he drove it into the fence and then hung around till he got arrested. Well, it is a strange story. I mean, I, you know, when I first saw it, of course, thoughts go back to something like Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City. And that wasn't a U-Haul. I think it was a Penske or maybe a Hertz a rider. rider. Okay. Um, but that type of thing. And, and then that story kind of dropped off the, the news pretty quickly. I mean, that's uh, pretty serious. I'm sure that, you know, security was certainly amped up after that happened. Maybe, you know, maybe they've come up with this guy's motive or whatever. I don't know, but it has not gotten a lot of attention. No. And maybe he's just a crazy guy. And it could be. Um, But it just, it was odd. So what's, what's on your radar? Well, you know, I'll just mention this since we haven't talked sports in a while, but you know, at this point, the Red Sox are no longer in last place in the American League East. Despite their best efforts. But what is also striking is that as of, I guess it was maybe two days ago when I looked, the lowest placed team in the AL East had the same record as the leader of the AL Central. And in fact, every team is above 500 or was above 500 as of a day or two ago. And it's it's entirely possible that the way the playoffs are set up now, if, if they were to end the season like this, you'd have four teams from the AL East all in the playoffs. And, and I just, I find that to be a very interesting story. And it, it's it's an argument for I think a couple of things. One is potential contraction, which Major League Baseball will never agree to. And then two, doing away with divisions, and then picking the because I think what we have now eight teams in the playoffs. Yeah, I think so. Per league, and then just take the top eight and 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 let's go with that because they're now playing a, a completely equal. I mean, everybody plays everybody the same number of times which I think is good. It was wrong that the AL East was beating up on each other in the past. And then, the, as you said, the Central and the West kind of had what I would characterize as a patty cake schedule. But but that you're right. It's it's quite interesting. Yeah. The other thing that's on my radar, in addition to like the debt selling negotiations that we talked about, is still the border. You know, I saw today that 30 more Chinese nationals were uh, intercepted at the border. And the headlines are just Strange because the headlines are all focusing on, oh, it's not that bad. The surge never happened. Well, the surge happened. It just happened before Title 42 ended. There were 10,000 people in just a few days before that. So, uh, you know, I think it's a continuing issue and it's not gotten any better. There's no resolution to it. So, yeah, that's the other thing that continue to watch. No, you're right. And, and part of what they're doing now, which enables the Biden folks to not count these people, is they're getting on that app and getting pre-clearance. So it looks like they're crossing legally. And, you know, I guess maybe technically they are in the sense that they've permission, but they're not in the sense that 
they're not properly seeking asylum in accordance with the law. Well, and there's so many, they're not going to get an asylum hearing for three, four years. Some of them getting scheduled out in 2027, 2028. But in any event, regardless of whether they use the app, like scale a wall, whatever, you're still talking about however many millions of new folks are being allowed into the country. And that's not even counting the security issues we have with Chinese nationals or Afghan terrorists who, and all that. So the border continues to be a mess and it will affect uh, the entire country. All right. You got anything else for tonight? I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the let's think about that podcast. You can email us at comments at let's think podcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider, leave us a review and tell your friends. (laughs) 